Brukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kichanu B'Mitzvotav B'Tzivanu, La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka, Befinu Ufi Amka B'Tisrael, Ve'nie Anaknu V'zaetzeinu V'zaetzee Amka B'Tisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Ve'lom De Torateka Lishma. Baruch Ata Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'amo Yisrael. Ki lishuateka kibiti Hashem, baruch haba b'shem Adonai hakadosh baruchu, please send Mashiach now. like to welcome you to the Be'aloha Techa, or Be'alot Katecha. All about being low, like aloha, like you're on an island, chilling. And also, how low can we posture ourselves? before Hashem, because we're going to talk about humility today, and I want to begin with something from G. Shekel's notes on Parsha Beha Aloteka, because in Eretz Israel, they are so fancy, they are one week ahead of us in the Parshot schedule because of the Diaspora Day for Shabbat. So normally, these Yom Tovim are celebrated for one day in Eretz Israel. But in the diaspora, we're so holy that we have to have another day. Now, if you read Sefer Chinuch, you will see that actually it's less holy outside the Eretz Israel. So that's why we have an extra day. So it's not really because we're holy. It's actually because we're less holy. We have to, we have, to have a diaspora day, like an extra day of the Yom Tov. But that was the case in antiquity before we had modern technology, which I know is kind of like, wait a minute. Because remember the one time we argue about kashrut and say, well, just because the refrigerator was invented doesn't mean that pork is kosher now. Well, yes, but the calendar is a little bit different because now that we know the set calendar as brought down by Hillel, uh, one of his descendants uh, from the Sanhedrin, the last Sanhedrin that was standing, which was about 2,000 years ago. So he gave us the current calendar that we have. If you go to hebcal.com or if you look at any of the Zamanim apps, you will see which calendar we go by. So with that being said, there's not really ever a way for you to say, oh, I thought Shavuot was yesterday when it was actually, you know, the day before yesterday or you know depending on if you're paying attention if you're in community or not in community you'll be able to know when Shavuot is so anyway with that being said there was a diaspora Shavuot day which was this past Shabbat so we ended up not reading Parsha Naso for this past Shabbat and most people celebrated Shavuot again well in Eretz Israel they continued on with the Parshot's cycle, so they read Parsha Naso for Shabbat, which was kind of interesting because they spent all week getting ready for Shavuot, and then they only had, well, what, what they had left of prep day anyway, because, you know, after being up all night and then doing all the davening for Shavuot, and then it's like, all right, Arab Shabbat, okay, let's study Naso for just a little bit. And then in the morning, we'll read all seven Aliyot at Shul. So that's how it went down in Eretz Israel, but not so much with us. However, Baruch Hashem, I was able to go ahead and go go ahead and read 
Parsha Beha Aloteka. So, hence why I want to share uh, some of these insights. And I, after studying and everything and still having more things on the table to study, I'm just like, oh my word, there's so much here. Uh, as Rabbi Griffin Shlita always says, uh, we are out of time, but not out of content. And that is certainly true. And so I just wanted to speak on uh, from the sixth Aliyah and to focus on Eldad and Maydad. We're going to learn a lot about them today. And uh, it's all about being low. So, you know, when we are humble, it also brings this relaxation to it, which is why I also say Be Aloha. So be in a aloha mode of where you're just serving. You are so content in your godliness that people are like, aren't you mad? Don't you feel like you deserve more? Don't you feel like you should be, you know, in the spotlight? Don't you feel like you should know more than everybody else? Don't you feel like everybody else is failing and you're winning? Don't you feel like you're winning? You know, like puff you up kind of thing. And you're like. No, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm I'm okay with my relationship in Hashem. Like, obviously, I have things I need to work on, but, you know, um, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need to do what you want me to do. Because you realize when people try to disturb your shalom, that's what it is. They want you to do what they want you to do. They don't want you to focus on Hashem. They want you to focus on their agenda. Trust me, oh my word, it's so tragic, but it's so true. So, what I want to start out with, this is G, G Shekel Notes. Uh, again, this is Gadai Shlita of Bet Yisrael over in India. So, he brings this down in his notes. He's reading 4th Ezra, which I believe is likened to uh, the Sefer Zerubbabel. But, either way, just know. It's 4th Ezra and chapter 13 and at least verses 1 through 9, verse 25, verse 26, verse 35, verse 36. We're going to read all those right now. And again, this is all about humility. Someone who is humble doesn't have to talk. You know, they don't have to boast. They don't have to be loud, you know, and they're a very quiet soul. Now, just because you're a loud person or you're very gregarious or you're very boisterous doesn't mean that you're not humble. Did you know that you can be humble as well as gregarious and uh, very uh, extrovert and very energetic personality? You don't have to be just like, oh, like, hi, I'm here. Yeah, so humble. How you doing? You don't have to be like that. You can you can be very, very, you know, energetic, but yet humble. So, with that being said, the power of what comes through our lips. I can't help but think, why do we pray from a siddur? And why do... Uh, sorcerers and all sorts of other uh, magical power type individuals. Why do they have books of incantations? Why do people take the Sephirot, take sections of the Mishnah, 
and chant them melodically while they do weird poses. And yes, I'm talking about yoga, specifically practical Kabbalah and Eastern mysticism and the ones where you work yourself up into a trance to get yourself a spirit guide who calls himself, I am the spirit of the most high. Yeah, that, that totally happens. So why does that happen? You know, and it's like, obviously there's power in that. And the crazy thing is, is when we're praying from a sedur, we feel weird about it. We're like, no, this can't be right. And I, I will not be mechanic in my prayers. You know, I will make my own prayers. And you're like, well, you can't really pray any better than the sedur. You got to think about people like Ezra, and Nehemiah and Mordecai and Daniel. I mean, do you really think you can outpray those people? Not that we need to have a competition or anything, but that's just something to take into account. So, if you think about what's going on, we are doing the kosher version, if you will, for lack of a better term, of the incantations. I mean, just to put that out there. All the repairs, all the tikkuns, which is repair, tikkunim, to be uh, correct, uh, all those things that go on because of the prayers that we pray for Ma'ariv, Shakarit, and Arvit. And if you're a person who does Kriyat Shema, the bedtime Shema, or Shema Al-Hamita, there we go. Shema Al-Hamita, the Shema up on your bed, bedtime Shema. Uh, yeah, so if you're doing all those prayers, you're actually reordering the universe. That's literally why it's called a Siddur. What is the root of Sidur? Seder. What does Seder mean? Order. Program. So we're like programmers for the universe. And that's why it's important to have a Sidur. That's why it's important to use it, to know it, to put your mind to it, and to not pray it uh, empty-minded and just babbling. You know, Mashiach also spoke to us about don't babble like the nations babble in their prayers. Uh, that's kind of interesting because, you know, uh, the people who do those chants and stuff that I just talked about, uh, that's what they do. They babble, you know, but they use the same Hebrew, you know, you can say the Aleph Tav forwards and backwards so many times in a certain pattern, certain rhythms and things like that. And you can work yourself up into a trance. But again, what is the goal? Are you are you seeking to worship Hashem or are you seeking to do damage? Because if you're praying any way outside of Hashem's pattern that he's laid down for us, that's not going to work out very well. Take the golden calf, for instance. This is the most prime example of what I'm talking about. This is what I'm trying to say. But what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is we took inventory of the gold and the precious stones and jewels that we had. We brought it to the Kohen Hagadol and we threw it into the fire. And out came a golden calf. Now, what was the motivation? What was the purpose? What was the drive? What was the atmosphere? And what was the emotion behind it all? We need a God because Moshe died and we need to do what we did in Egypt. Back in Egypt, they paraded around their idols and they were able to 
celebrate and have these frivolous parties. We need some of that right now because we are left without a shepherd. So this is going to be an issue. Mind you, we're at Mount Sinai. Clouds of glory surrounding us. Manna falling down. Moshe went up the mountain. We said, now save Anishma. We are immortal at this point. And we decided to do this. So Pearl K, which is pure K to Rebbe Eliezer, brought down that uh, when the calf came out the fire, we fed it manna. Well, actually, the legends of the Jews brought down we fed it manna part. But Pearl K brings out the whole, like we did in Egypt, we wanted a God and threw all the stuff in the fire. Now, flip the whole entire script because Beha Eloteca brings this down. That the menorah built itself from a piece of gold that was thrown into the fire. What was the difference? Oh yeah, it was based off of the commandments in the Torah. Namely, Parsha Teruma. So, and again, remember in Parsha Teruma, what was the motivation? Oh, the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of Torah. The spirit of Hashem. The Ruach HaKodesh aka scripture yeah that was the motivation that was the emotion that was the atmosphere that was the purpose and that was the plan and the intention so long introduction for this this beautiful section of fourth ezra just to say what we're doing is we're practicing warfare every time we pray and i began to work on this song called davin and uh it's like Dobbin 1, Dobbin 2, Dobbin 3, Dobbin 4. No, we can't stop because we signed up for what we got. A Dobbin, 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 Dobbin. Pray without ceasing. Okay, anyway, working on that. So, Bezrat Hashem, that'll be ready to go pretty soon. It's a very, very hype track, but pray without ceasing. Why we pray so much? Why we have blessings for everything before and after and all that? And it's like because we are in a war and we need to fix the world. That's going to happen through prayer. So, check this out, because if this doesn't revolutionize our prayer life, I don't know what will. Obviously, the final redemption will, but yeah, until then, it says, And it came to pass after seven days that I dreamed a dream by night, and I beheld, and lo, there arose a violent wind from the sea and stirred all its waves. And the wind caused the likeness of a form of a man. Note that Mashiach Yeshua is that same way, by the way. He's a form of a man. You know, if you read the letter to Philippi, uh, Philippians, Shaul talks about Mashiach emptying himself of his former glory, not considering equality with God something to be grasped. And came in the likeness of a man even in the form of a slave who became obedient to death and not just obedient to death but the worst death you could possibly die so yeah talk about a form right this is why we have to understand that mashiach is not just a man he is divinity if you could think about the torah the Torah that's beyond the sapphire tablets, like the Torah as it was before creation, black fire and white fire. Think about that coming into the form of a human body. That's Mashiach. Okay, so like 
the confusion is he the same level as a shim is he separate from a shim is he with a shim obviously mashiach yeshua says i and my father are one apart from my father i can do nothing you know it's the same thing that happens with solo scriptura people take the word of god and divorce it from a shim it's a form of godliness but it denies its power and you have nothing you also have two thousand years of chaos bloodshed and darkness and anarchy in the world wonder why covid 19 is a thing wonder why riots are a thing wonder why anti-semitism is a thing well there you go anyway form of a man to come out of the heart of the seas and this man flew with the clouds of heaven isn't it interesting that mashiach yeshua is going to fly in the clouds of heaven and isn't it interesting, too, that the Be'er Miriam, the well of Miriam, the rock of our salvation, a.k.a. Mashiach, the rock that traveled with us in the wilderness, as brought down by Shaul in his letter to Corinth. Yep, that's totally in there. Chapter 10. Get you some. Isn't it interesting that that rock is in the Sea of Galilee? And here we go. We got the form of a man that's going to rise out of a sea and he's going to fly with the clouds of heaven which the Messiah totally is going to do that. If you just read Tractate Sanhedrin 98, you'll understand that too. Son of the clouds. Yep, that is Mashiach. So anyway, 4th Ezra though, chapter 13, that's what we're reading, says he flew with the clouds of heaven and wherever he turned his countenance to look, everything seen by him trembled. This is the eyes of Mashiach. When these eyes are focused on you, you you don't have anything that you can hide behind. There's no excuses. There's no facades. No fakery. Okay? This is just like, boom, down to the core. He can look at a tree, and the tree knows, oh, my goodness, this is my king. I'm going to clap my hands and bow, you know, just like it talks about it in Tehillim. Also, if you're familiar with what's called Perek Shira, if you're not, you need to get you some. It talks about the songs of the different parts of creation. The rocks, they have a song. The wind, the sea, the trees. Anyway, everything is alive and everything is talking. And furthermore, everything is singing. Now, the singing is kind of quotes right now due to the exile and due to us not really living out our purpose uh, for serving Hashem. So the more we engage in Torah and the more we get connected to Hashem in the higher worlds, then, uh, yeah, that that totally amps everything up. So it's kind of why this time period is important, uh, whether or not we're in quarantine or whether or not there's a shutdown, whether or not there is uh, the covid scare and all that kind of stuff. What should we be doing? We should be taking the momentum and the advantage of closing in ourselves in our prayer closets and getting it in with the shim. Oh, and the, the new revival of racism. All of that. We need to take all that energy, redirect it, and focus it towards the shim. And we need to speak out to Hashem about these things. Hashem, bring correction. Hashem, bring order to the chaos. Hashem, let the observance that we partake of be sent out into creation as a ripple effect of Kedusha 
to elevate the world from darkness into your marvelous light. Bring salvation to the four corners of the universe. Reveal your new light upon Zion. You know, rebuild the new Yerushalayim. That is the central aspect of the world that has to be put in place. You know, it's like the Iron Man suit. He has that little central chess piece. That literally is what the new Yerushalayim is to the world. It will bring life to the universe when the new Yerushalayim is in place. But if we don't lay a foundation for it, namely our teshuva and our returning to him, which is teshuva, uh, and voicing forth his praises and his glory, making converts of the nations, bringing the whole world into Torah underneath the wings of the Shekinah, then uh, there is no foundation. Hence why we're still in exile so many thousands of years later, even after the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has gone forth into the world, nothing has happened. Isn't that amazing? People are so stuck on, oh, just believe Christ alone. My hope is found on solid rock. You know, solid rock. My, my feet have been placed. He picked me up, turned me around, plant my feet on solid ground. Like, all that's been going on, him after him after him. But what's been what's been the thing with that? It's been disconnected from Hashem. It's been disconnected from the Torah. Instead of the Pesach lamb, there's the Easter pork. And instead of the Hanukkah Hanukkah, there is the Xmas tree. You know, you substitute all these things out and you wonder, why is the world upside down? There you go. And until that is realized, we will continue to say, Houston, we have a problem. So, man, clouds of heaven, he looks with his eyes. Oh, and shouts out to Stav Soldat Shlita, our winter soldier, Chavinger. He um, talked about a Mizraki drosh of, as of recent. So, uh, Rabbi Mizraki Shlita. He was talking about when Mashiach returns that, or Slika, because returns and when Mashiach comes, that's the same word, by the way, which is Yavo. Yavo can mean return or come. So when Mashiach comes, he says that many people are going to go and they're going to burn down their churches because they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I don't want him to know that I was doing all this fake stuff. And he said also... Many Jews are going to run and burn down their synagogues because they've been worshiping their rabbis as idols. So that's ridiculous. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. You wonder why Judaism has such a uh, thing with it today. Lots of drama. Like you can't just up and convert. You can't up and just convert if you want to. You know, like if you are serious about serving Hashem, you really want to kashrut your kitchen. You want a mikvah. You want to get circumcised. It's like, nah, your mother's not Jewish. Can't do that right now. You go be a Noahide, though. That's totally fine. We won't convert you. Or if you have converted by doing the three halakhic things that you can do, which, by the way, that third thing, none of us can do because there's no temple. It is... Immerse in a mikvah, get circumcised, and bring a korban. Those are the three things you do. 
you can look it up, study it out. Um, proselytism and Talmudic times is, is a great source. Look it up in Yevamot in the Talmud. Literally, if you read Yevamot, it says that you only need to do some act of dedication to bring yourself underneath the wings of the Shekinah. So whether that's you changing your lifestyle, whether that's you professing, oh yeah, you think Romans 10 9 is about salvation? <laughs> I, yeah, it is, because how are you going to profess belief that Mashiach is Hashem? Obviously, Shaul knew a little bit more about Mashiach than uh, most people who teach Romans 10. Because it says, confess what you believe in your heart, you got to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart that Yeshua is Adonai. Like, what? Because, oh yeah, because the Torah is Mashiach and the Torah is Hashem. So yeah, about that. But anyway, all that to say, Mashiach has a look that's going to cause everything to tremble. Because his look reveals the inner essence of whatever he's looking at. Which is why in the name change uh, teaching that I gave on Lapid Judaism YouTube channel, I talk about that. The reason why Adam was able to name everything, all the animals, because he had the eyes of Mashiach. And he's able to see to the inner essence and the very fabric of each animal. So that name best describes that animal in totality. So anyway, going on, it says, And whithersoever the voice went out of his mouth, the voice went out of his mouth, all that heard his voice melted away as the wax melts when it fills the fire. And after this, I beheld that there were gathered from the four winds of Shemaim an innumerable multitude of men to make war against that man. Innumerable multitude. You ever seen those epic war movies where it's just like green screen, like armies that just go from one end of the screen to the other? And I'm talking about IMAX screen where it's just like you just look and all you see is heads of people that are ready to fight. That that kind of innumerable. So they're like coming up at Mashiach, right? They're coming at him sideways. They're like, man, who you think you is? So remember our aloha, like we're in Hawaii, like we're on an island, right? Because if you're humble, you know, Hashem is going to aid you for everything. And Moshe is called the most humble man ever, right? Moshe says that there is going to be one who comes after me who is like me. You must listen to him. And then what does Mashiach say in the writings of Matthew? He says that take my yoke upon you because I am humble. My burden, my yoke is light and my burden is easy. Learn of me, right? Like that whole section. He talks about how humble he is, how lowly he is. Literally, be'alo aloteka. What's the tongue twister? Be'alo Aloteca. There we go. Bealo Aloteca. Bealoha Teca. Anyway, 
Which is interesting because Bejaalotecha is all about lifting up the the lights on the candelabrum, aka the menorah. And the way you lift up light is by lowering yourself. The lower you go, the more light you're allowed to bring in because Hashem says, I will add greatness to your greatness. And it's like, I'm totally not great, Hashem. And Hashem's like, perfect. More light for that guy. Because he knows he's nothing. However, if we say, oh, I'm so great, I'm so awesome, I will be like the Most High, then you're going to end up in Gehenna. Like Hasatan and his peoples. Okay? That's totally the whole thing that Yehuda, a.k.a. Jude, brings down. So anyway... Uh, everybody's coming at them sideways. It's an a multiple. It's an innumerable multitude of men to make war against that man, aka the Mashiach, who came up out of the sea. And Ezra, fourth Ezra here, wants to note this is the supernal sea from the spiritual realm. Okay, so not just the literal sea, but like the sea that's above. Because you remember in uh, Bereshit chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, where the waters divided, there was upper waters, lower waters. Yeah, so there's a sea up there. Anyway, uh, so it says, And I saw that he cut out for himself a great mountain and flew up on it. Now, remember just last podcast, uh, Parsha Bamibar brought down some, or Shabbat, actually, Shabbat PSI, I brought down the Book of Our Heritage source on Mount Sinai is actually a piece of Mount Moriah where the Akedah happened. So here Mashiach is taking a piece of a mountain and using it to fly on it. And Mount Sinai was a piece of the mountain of Mount Moriah that flew all the way over here to the desert. And by the way, when the giving of the Torah happened, it flew up into the air so that Hashem could descend onto it and he could speak from it and give us the Torah. So I don't know. It just seems like implied and inferred, insinuated over here that this mountain that Mashiach is going to fly on probably is Mount Zion or Mount Sinai. One of the two. Either way, we know mountains fly. Take that for your gravity and for your science, <laughs> right? Anyway, but Hashem, though, that's what's never, ever taken into account in all these theories, but Hashem. I mean, you read Parsha Vayetze, where Yaakov has a dream at the ladder, and it says Hashem folded up Israel and put it underneath his head and was like, this is the land that I'm going to give to you. Your descendants are going to take this land just as easy as it collapses and fits in the palm of your hand. That's how easy it, it is going to be to take the land which by the way again uh either totak shlita our avenger uh, our cannonball avenger or uh stav soldat our winter soldier avenger one of them were saying that oh yeah the can the uh canaanites descendants of ham those are the ones who stole the land from shem and isn't it interesting that those same individuals are saying, no, we didn't steal the land. It's our land, a.k.a. Palestinians, free Palestine, that whole thing. 
yeah, that's that's totally been done before. Nothing new under the sun. So anyway, Shem's descendants were supposed to have that land. That's why Shem is Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem. Like he's the original Kohen Gadol there. So anyway, um, but his descendants were all crazy and they threw off the yoke. And so that's why it was transferred to Abraham and his descendants, which Abraham is a descendant of. Oh, man. I believe he's a, oh man, this is crazy. I forget who he's a descendant of. Let me go to Bereshit chapter 11 for a second. This is a PSI moment. Please source it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shem, Shela, Eber. Okay, yeah, he's in the lineage of Shem. Okay, Baruch Shem. That was going to be really awkward. But yeah. Terak. Father Abraham, Father Abraham, as many sons, Shem to Abraham. Yep, genealogical records of Shem. Anyway, um, so yeah, but Shem's direct descendants who were supposed to take on the mantle, uh, they were not, so it got transferred to Abraham. So yeah, it actually skipped a generation and went to Eber, which is actually the grandson of Shem. And it says, Shelah is the father of Eber. So, yeah. And then Eber had Peleg, and then Peleg fathered sons and daughters. He fathered Reu, which we don't really hear much about. And then Reu fathered Serug. And then Serug, um, he fathered Nahor, and Nahor fathered Terach, and then Terach fathered Abraham. So it's kind of a little lineage drop there. But anyway, just to go back to the point that, you know, just because we think the nature has certain rules and governances and science proves and theories and all that. Yeah, that's great. And Hashem did totally say, yeah, gravity is a real thing. Don't play with it. Fire is a real thing. It will burn you. Cold is a real thing. It will freeze you. But Hashem can change that up when he wants to. This is the whole thing about the condition that Hashem made with creation. Uh, namely, for those who are keepers and followers of the Torah, those who are in covenant with Hashem, that we get to operate outside the realm of nature. And, by the way, we do that in a kosher manner, unlike those who have to do spells and incantations to get outside of the normal realms of creation. What do you think soothsayers and seers are? You know, when they try to, let me read your palm, let me look into this crystal ball, let me get a lock of your hair, and mix it in with this potion. They're trying to break the and hack the system, which you can totally do. You know, people do it all the time. They they jailbreak cell phones. You know, you can hack into a computer. You can break through firewalls and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, because you can do that. Obviously, that's a reflection of what you can do in the spiritual. So anyway, all that to say, mountains can fly if Hashem want them to. Mashiach told us this. If you have enough Amuna. You can tell that mountain to go cast itself into the sea and it'll do it. Okay, so there's totally that. And uh, no one ever really focuses on that and just says, say lot for just a moment. But anyway, 
Uh, it says, and when he saw the assault of the multitude as they came, he neither, check this out, pay close attention. He neither lifted his hand nor held spear nor any warlike weapon. There's a common saying where we say violence is not the key. <laughs> well, that is kind of half true because it's not really that violence is not the key. It's that you really, if you're with Hashem, you don't really need no weapon shall prosper. You know, no sword, no weapon shall prosper against the anointed of Hashem kind of thing. Anyway, uh, but yeah, you don't really need to lift your hand. You don't really need to lift a spear, any warlike weapon. You don't need to throw bricks. You don't need to throw bottles with uh, lit uh, garment pieces in it, you know, and oil or alcohol to make your own grenade or something. You don't need to do any of that. Because why? It says, but I only saw how he sent out of his mouth, as it were, a fiery stream. And remember, the ark that went before us in the wilderness three days, which we also read about in Parsha Beha Aloteka, the double noon passage that says, Vayiven so Aaron, Vayomer Moshe, Kum Aronai, Veafutsu Oeveka. Yeah, that part, the Vayiven Soa, what we say when we bring the Torah out the ark at Tar Shalom. Come on. Anyway, yeah, that part. So, yeah, that ark, which housed the broken pieces of sapphire, which was just acacia wood, made by Moshe, went before us with its own cloud of glory, and it had streams of fire that came from it that leveled the plains and took out snakes and scorpions, so that way we can have a freezy, clear, and easy course to walk on. So here it is, coming from the mouth of Mashiach, a fiery stream, out of his lips, a flaming breath. I'm back to fourth Ezra reading now. And out of his tongue, he shot forth a storm of sparks. And these fell upon the assault of the multitude and burned them all up. See, this is why if we understand what Lashan Hara has done, especially for the past 2000 years, because, you know, the grace message is full of Lashan Hara. By the way, the Sunday morning service and let's celebrate everything. But what's in the Bible full of the Shanhara. This is why all oh, the law is done away with. Oh, and JC this JC that because you're calling the name of the Messiah something different, by the way. So it's like Mashiach says, my name is Mashiach Yeshua. And you're like, nope, your name is Jesus Christ. And that's it. I don't care. I know you're Hebrew. I know you're Jewish. But you didn't really speak Hebrew. You probably spoke Aramaic and you definitely spoke Greek. And Greek is the holy language of Shemaim. You know, like that, that totally is taught. You know, this is why people are not okay with using a Siddur. People are not okay with keeping Arab Shabbat, much less Shabbat. You know, people are not okay with wearing a kippah. People are not okay with wearing zizi. People are not okay with dressing modest. People are not okay with wearing a head covering. Like these things exist. People, oh, people are totally not okay with eating gozer which is lashon hara in its finest god made all foods clean anyway so the power of that has created the current condition of the world and it continues to get worse so the power in our words 
we can't really see right now. We we think, well, if we speak and nothing seemingly happens, I mean, I may have felt a little weird when I said something, you know, but just go around and say, God wants us to eat kosher. The Messiah ate kosher. The disciples ate kosher. Lapid eats kosher. Just go around talking like that. I eat kosher. I separate meat and dairy. Start speaking those things out. Now give it time and watch what happens to the environment around you. Put this in your thoughts because your thoughts project an aura around you, by the way. I I showed up to work today all lit and fired up about, oh yeah, everything that's going on with the riots, like that energy is available for us to use for unity. Because here we are, we can can do like what they do in jujitsu and aikido and another weird uh, martial art form where you take the enemy's uh, attack and you can reuse it upon them. So if they throw a punch, the force of their punch, you can actually bring into you and rechannel it and use it to strike them back. And so their punch ends up working against them. That literally is an art form of martial arts, which happens in the spiritual realm that we can do so all this rioting all this panic and fear-mongering we literally have the ability to take that and turn that into kedusha this is why it's important to understand the simple saying it's not really simple because it's a passage of scripture so sleek out for me calling it simple but it says you will turn darkness into light transform darkness into light overcome evil with good it's literally Jew, like a Yehudi, Jitsu. Jew, Jitsu. Like that literally is a thing. And that's what our prayers are. But if you do this without being humble, it's of no no effect. But if you're humble, if you know that you're nothing, and only Hashem, oh my gosh, Hashem, I'm, I'm just... Wow, I got so much I need help on. I need to work. I need refinement. Oh my gosh. I can't even believe I can be considered a Jew. Like, I can't believe I should even be thinking about conversion. You know what? Forget about it. I should just go out and do whatever I want. I should just give up. I should leave the community. I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I'm just going to give up. Yeah, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But. There's a way for you to continue to stay in community, continue to stay in covenant, continue to be devoted to Hashem with those same understanding. Because we all have to realize we're not worthy. Why do you think the Vidui, the Taknun, the Avinu Malkainu is totally a thing? Mondays and Thursdays is like ridiculous liturgy of like, Hashem, I'm not worthy. Hashem, I'm terrible. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't be here. I can't believe you allow me to exist. I'm just, I should be a greasy spot on the earth. Like, I should be struck with lightning bolt, like, all the time. Yeah, because if you're going to confess your sin, then Hashem is going to be faithful to forgive you. Like it's written in the writings of Yochanan. Yeah, Yochanan knew what's up. That's why he was called the Talmud that uh mashiach loved the beloved talmud anyway so hopefully that was an encouragement to everybody so uh to quote the famous song how low can you go can you go down low all the way to the flow 
you know, put your head on your left elbow, <laughs> a little Takanoon drop, you know, cause you're supposed to put your head, you're supposed to put your head on your forearms it's called the falling down prayer, the Takanoon prayer. Yeah. So, and you can actually prostrate yourself. This would be the time to prostrate yourself before God. Like, I'm not worthy. Oh my gosh. And you do this after the highest point of the prayer, which is called Shimon Esrei, a.k.a. the Amida, the standing prayer. It's like, as soon as you're at the highest point, you fall to the lowest low. And you start asking Hashem to forgive our wretchedness. Or, as we say in the hood, our ratchetness. Anyway, I just think that it is so amazing that the power that's in our words, and just because we can't see them, we downplay it. Prayer is something we need to do. I was thinking about why do we pray so much? Why do we got to pray without ceasing? You know, I'm like, okay, just went to the bathroom. Okay, let me talk to you, Hashem, about my faculties because you totally opened everything up so that I can get rid of waste. And, like, man, if I couldn't get rid of waste, I'd be sick and I'd die. You know, like, that's the, the gist of the Braca, you know, and it's just like, wow, thank you, Hashem. You know, and oh my goodness, I just had a sip of cold water. I love it. It was amazing. It was so good. Thank you, Hashem, for that. I'm about to go refill my water bottle, and I'm going to bless you for this new water that I'm going to drink, and then I'm going to bless you after I finish drinking it, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you're constantly just bringing yourself to an awareness of, you know, sustenance, support. Hashem is there. Oh, I just had a bad thought, Hashem. I'm so sorry. I was doing very, very well, and now I just tanked out and I can't believe all these people around me are talking all this trash. Like, this is horrible. I feel like I'm sitting in a dumpster. Lashon Hara everywhere. Gossip everywhere. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. Someone's talking to me right now. I don't I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. I'm not hearing you. Like, all that kind of stuff. And then you're by yourself and you have a moment. You can just kind of refocus and recenter Hashem. I release all that right now. Please forgive me for hearing. Please forgive the person who spoke it, for they know not what they do. Yeah, you want to talk about being like Mashiach, go ahead, get you some. That's how you do it. Anyway, so being low in competition with the slugs, okay? That's what we need to be. Be a low, a low teka. Being low. So, Sika. I want to share a couple of things before I really get into my notes. This is from Torah Daily. I posted this on my Instagram story and Facebook story, and then I reposted it somewhere else. I don't know, but I definitely saved it to my pictures, and I constantly review it. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Now, I can just repeat that over and over again, but, I mean, you just got to see it and fix your focus on it because it's like there's a lot there. And then I want to share from who is known as Taoz Shlita, our Lady Sif Chavenger. I'm so proud of this lady. You know, she probably feels like she's the worst of the worst, but I'm like, good, just keep doing that. Keep thinking you're so horrible because the shim is doing amazing things, you know. 
And it's like, I don't know how to encourage people to be humble, but if that's a way to do it, hopefully it's working. But anyway, uh, I pray that Hashem just continues to bless her and her household. Like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. I love it. HCOs go hard. Okay. All y'all. Okay. Um, we got Aziza and we got Hasin. you know, we got the Batman and Batgirl, you know, uh, up there in Kansas city, you know, we got all of our, uh, Hudson Valley, uh, Lapid house. We got our Houston Lapid house, you know, we got our Lapid Nicks up in Florida, you know, and all around the world, man, all y'all just, Wow. And of course, how could you forget Sar Shalom Tulsa, right? Anyway, so back to Taoz. She is dropping this from Hasidic Torah Tidbits by Rabbi Abraham J. Tversky. Anytime you see Rabbi Tversky, you need to duck and cover. Uh, and also get all his books. <laughs> Don't get crazy with them, though. Like, don't just fill your head with all this craziness and think, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? You know, don't be led astray by what you read. Always bring what you read back into community, back into alignment with your rabbi. You know, Captain Israel, I know he's crazy, but still, <laughs> he's our leader, okay? All right, so, no escaping the Yetzirah. The Rebbe... Reb Pinchas of Koretz said the Yetzirah is very shrewd and never gives up. See, this right here is why if we give up, that's a problem. I thought to myself, either uh, my problems are going to give up or I'm never going to give up. And I know that kind of, you got to kind of think about that for a second, because you, you know, if you're so in a habit of like, I, oh my gosh, I sinned again, hopefully we're not sinning the same way every time. But even if we are like continue to confess that to Hashem and ask him, Hashem, can you please show me a way out of this? Help me do something different. You know, like I'm tired of it. You know, I can't, I can't stand this. I don't like this, you know? Obviously, we're going to have challenges. So, you know, also be mindful of what you ask for, because if you're not challenged in that area, you'll be challenged in some other area. And uh, with everything that we could possibly challenge with, sometimes you're like, OK, I'm cool with this challenge. But uh, that doesn't mean we can hide behind our challenge and just keep the same challenge forever. So, yes, it is a double edged sword, I realize. But anyway, you're thing that you're challenged by and what you struggle with it will eventually tap out if you don't tap out but if you never tap out you'll never get the opportunity to see when your problem or your challenge taps out and again if you already know you're nothing and if you already know that you're a servant of Hashem and that you don't deserve anything you're not worthy then uh yeah you're the most dangerous avenger ever because the Yatahar can't do nothing with that. It's like, dang, there's no hummets around here to puff this bread up. Ugh, unleavened bread. Go sit on the shulkan. I don't want to talk to you right now. You bunch of holy loafs. Anyway, so that's totally the Yatahar. 
the Shomer Man Midrash just came at you right there. All right. So anyway, back to this. It says, if I want to go into a cold mikvah, the Yetzirah says, don't do it. Don't do that. It's dangerous to your health. I don't listen to him, and I do immerse in a cold mikvah. So the Yetzirah says to me, what a great Zodic you are. Immersing yourself in ice cold water with Mesurut Nefesh, self-sacrifice. It tries to make me into a Baal Ga'ava, which, uh, let me look that up real quick. Mm-hmm. Prep day hooking me up with the word Ga'ava. What is it? Oh, pride. Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. A master of pride. Good night. You're up here trying to get in the mikvah, even though it's cold, and you're like pushing yourself against your own, uh, <laughs> like instincts. And the Yetzar is like, great. You're so prideful. You think you're such a Zodic. People need to bow to you. Look at all these other people that didn't go into the mikvah because it was cold. Anyway, there's just no escaping it. A person has to be constantly on the alert. I put a mind-blown emoji con on this, and she put a dazed person that's like, what? Like, just blue screen? I guess that's what a blue screen emoji looks like. So, I said tag. Nothing new in the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out. Your adversary. By the way, the Yatahara is called adversary. The devil, because uh, the Yatahara, Hasatan, and the angel of death are all three aspects of one entity, by the way. Tamu brings that down. Says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. Did you know that the fire on the altar in the temple is called Ariel? And it crouches like a lion. And the temple, if you actually look at Shlomo's temple anyway, and I think Yehezekiel, Ezekiel's temple, that uh, from front to back, it's big in front and narrows as it goes towards the back. And it looks like a crouching lion, just like our tefillin boxes. You turn them a certain way, it's big in the front and narrow at the back. It looks like a crouching lion. So anyway, all these different lions around here, it's like either you're going to be with the lion of Hashem, which is Mashiach, a.k.a. the fire on the altar, a.k.a. the temple, and the tefillin boxes, or you're going to be with the lion, which is Hasatan, the Yatahara, or the angel of death, a.k.a. sin and its wages. You pick. Because Hashem says, I said before you, life and death, how you want to roll. So anyway, uh, that's a few things. So now, let's get into Eldad and Meddad, shall we? Uh, but first, I want to say this. This is my little self-note that I took away. We can't all be the leader or point man. The attributes of that role are different, and it's for the benefit of the whole. Hashtag Moshe, Miriam, and Aharon. So, the leader has the spotlight... They're always up front. They're the talking head. They navigate the moving parts, delegator, all that kind of stuff, right? 
It's like, oh my gosh, they think they're so cool. They're just in charge. They feel like they know it all. They're always the answer to everything. Nobody can speak unless they have already answered. You know, I can't answer for them. I can't share new halakha in front of them and say, no, you're doing it wrong. It's like, nope, that's not why they're the leader. They're the leader because Hashem has appointed them to be in that spot. Just like you're appointed to be in the spot you're in. Did you know? You being a member of the community, is Hashem anointing you and putting you there? He said, I want you to be right here. But no, we think, oh, I found this place and I need to learn. And now that I've learned, y'all are nothing. I've learned so much, y'all don't know anything. You know, you get hyped up on that thing sometimes. You get the the bad mojo, you know, and it just kind of takes you out. It, it, well, it doesn't kind of, it does. But anyway... So you have to remember that leader is who knows what's going on, man. Because when you're the leader, you are responsible, which, by the way, I meant to put that in the NASO PSI, the whole thing about NASO being burdened, that um, it's responsibility. You know, it says the burden of the tribe of Gerar, Gershon, Morari, Kahat, they had burdens. They had to carry around parts of the Mishkan. And we think in our mind, burden, oh my gosh, why are we calling it a burden? I thought we're not supposed to call it a law of burden. It's like, no, you're not. But we're supposed to call it a responsibility, like our freedom. Because, you know, being an American citizen is a burden. Because you're up under the law of responsibility to that freedom. Can't just go around blowing up stuff. Can't just go around speeding. Can't go around punching uh, people in the street and uh, exposing yourself being nude or public intoxication you know these are just a few things just off the top of my head so you know it's a burden right because you're responsible you know if you're in a marriage it's a burden because you're responsible to your other partner you know to your your spouse you know there are things you have to do to run your household you got to make sure you know, you pay bills, budget, you know, everything. It's it's responsibility. So anyway, burden doesn't always have to mean a bad thing, which is why if you get back to the word nasa to bear up under, you know, that's that's what that is. So anyway, Moshe, Miriam, and Aharon, these were our leaders who had to carry us throughout the wilderness. You know, so and primarily, you know, we have Moshe because, you know, he's the one who connected us with Hashem and gave us the Torah and all that kind of stuff and really led us out of Egypt. And then Yehoshua took over. And you're thinking, oh, man, like he's got all the stuff. And it's like, yeah, because Miriam comes up, you know, one of the six mitzvot that we're supposed to remember every day is that what what Miriam did, you know, she spoke out against Moshe. She was like, Psh. He separated from his wife. He thought he thought he couldn't be, you know, with his wife because, you know, he's got to be like hearing Hashem and prophesying and stuff like we're all prophets. Look, you know, Mir Miriam's like Aharon and I, we're with our spouses, you know, and we go immerse in a mikvah and we can go prophesy to Hashem. Like, who does he think he is? He doesn't need to just separate from Zipporah. That poor lady now, she's widow. She's a widow. And then Hashem was like, all right, we're going to have a come to Yeshua meeting right now. Everybody to the Mishkan. I don't care if you're immersed in a mikvah or not. You about to get prophesied to right now. And that's the kind of prophecy you don't want. 
But anyway, some of these things we fail to take into account. The leadership role is different, you know, like it, it does. It's not the same dynamic. You know, if you're an administrator, it's not the same dynamic as the leader. It's also not the same dynamic as the Chazan or the Gabai. You know, me as the Gabai, I don't have the same dynamic as the Chazan. You know, one of the things I was doing for Minka this past Shabbat, I was getting ready to get up and leave Minka. And it was like, the Chazan's right there. What are you doing? And like this, this was going on in my mind. I was like, oh my goodness, the Chazan is here. No, I'm done. I'm down. All right, cool. Everybody's ready. Hazan, you go. And he's like, no, you go. And I'm like, no, no, no. You're the Hazan. That's, that's your lane. I am not about to drive in front of you, <laughs> you know? So anyway, and obviously it wouldn't have been bad if I would have led the prayer service, but he's the Hazan. He's anointed for that role. Hashem is like, he's there, you know? So let the Hazan be the Hazan. Don't be upset about that. You know, and so, by the way, it's very, very Gentile, very, very pagan to get upset about different roles, you know, because there's this competitive thing. I want to be better than you, you know, and it's like, no, by the way, did you know competitive is great? But if you're competitive for the sake of taking out somebody, like if I'm competitive with the Chazan and Chasve Shalom, I want to be better than him. And I'm like, I want to pray better prayers than you, Chazan. It's like, well, power to you if you want to do that, but not at the uh, stake of so I can be the Chazan or to show you that you're a horrible Chazan. If that's the case, that's where the line is like, you've crossed it, you've jumped over it, you should be shot on sight. You know, and that's just how it is. I mean, that's very graphic, but I mean, yeah. So uh, one more example, and then I'll get into my notes finally. Uh, Rabbi Trail Galore for a whole hour. Wow. So <clears throat> there's a show called Songland. Obviously, it's not uh, Kedusha music, but the principle of the show is you have a writer come in, they perform their song for the artist, the artist picks which song they want to do, and then bam, you know, the writer is like, woo, they're doing my song. This is awesome. Wow which is how the music industry works, find, come to find out, it's rare that artists actually write their own songs, which I'm thinking to myself, like, I've wrote all my songs. What is this, not writing your own song, but being an artist stuff? <laughs> it's like, 25 albums later, you'd think I'd have known that before? Well, no, I just learned that. So that, that's been, thank you, Songland, <laughs> for pointing that out to me. Anyway, obviously Hashem pointed that out, but yes. Uh, so, in this one episode, two people won. You're supposed to only pick one. But the artist is like, nah, I need two people to win because I want to take that song and I want to put it with that song. So they made like this Megazord out of the song. And the song, absolutely ridiculous, is off the chart. Now, obviously I don't agree with the song because the song is called Miracle. And it's like, we don't need no miracle. And I'm like, well, you ain't Jewish. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, obviously they're not Jewish. What are they talking about? Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so just a point that, you know, if you really think about what just happened there, that it was like everybody's striving and they're all competitive and they're all striving and doing what they do best. 
But it wasn't until you combined those efforts that something completely off the charts, pun intended, because it's music and stuff, and number ones, billboards. Anyway, that that uh, that totally was a thing. So if you think about that, you know, you think, oh my goodness, I know more Gematria than Shomer Man. I know more Hebrew than Hillel. I know more Droshes than Rabbi Griffin. I know more uh, orchestrating administrative details than Keturah. Like, if you start getting into that mode, okay, that's totally cool if you can do that. But that should be for the sake of combining it, unifying it, all for advancing the kingdom of Hashem, all for advancing the Lapid Legion. I mean, if you're not about that, I mean, what are you doing? Because you can't do it by yourself. You're crazy if you are. The only person that could do something by himself, as we read in 4th Ezra, was is the Mashiach. Did you know it was just him? All his Talmudim left, and he was able to tikkun the entire world by himself. Think about that for a second. And that was Mashiach. Now, think about us in a fallen condition, completely sinful, scum of the earth type stuff yeah and we think we're gonna do outdo somebody what what in the world what in the world who's putting full in the microwave right now you know all right so here we go uh first peter it's interesting it's just first peter day you know first peter five we're gonna read from ch- uh, verse six through eleven and obviously I'm going to swerve. But here we go. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Here's the first swerve. In Judaism there's something called Yad Chazakah. Mighty hand of God. It's halakhic and nature. And it's about, you know, how to be observant and different stringencies and all that. So from the Zavak Pesach on um, the Pesach Haggadah and the section called the Magi, talking about the 10 plagues, section 17, section 1, says Rabbi Yehuda gave the plagues mnemonics. Dezak Adash Be'achav. This explanation only considers the number of plagues since there are 10 plagues and scripture uses five terms. It uses strong hand, outstretched arm, great awe, signs, and wonders. The Magid assumes that these expressions were said about the 10 plagues. That means it is necessary that each of these terms refers to two of the plagues. So take the five and put two plagues under each one. So there's two plagues about a strong hand, two about an outstretched forearm, two about great all, two about signs, wonders, two about signs, two about wonders. There we go. So obviously those are five categories, but there's 10 plagues. Five times two is 10, right? Okay, right. So two plagues per expression it says this or in this way he includes the 10 plagues in these five expressions he finds support 
for this interpretation in the expressions Yad Chazaka, strong hand, made up of two words for the two plagues. The word Yad, hand, is a reference to the plague of pestilence. Chazaka, strong, refers to the death of the firstborn. Pestilence is described in scripture as a sign of God's hand. Death of the firstborn is certainly the mightiest of all the plagues, thus connecting the character and language of the plague with the language of Torah in this verse. Similarly, Zeroah, Netuya, outstretched arm, is also composed of two words and refers to two plagues, possibly hail and locusts since they were preceded by great and momentous warnings that came with an outstretched hand and a raised hand. So the note to take away from Yad Chazakah is not only the afflictions that are associated with that, but to remember, when you think about the plagues, plagues is the word makot, but if you add the letter lamed to makot, you have malkut, which literally is expressed in the way of learning from disasters and tragedy. And literally, when you're halakhic and you're observant, you're literally turning makot into makut. Because sometimes we think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to, you know, dress modestly and I got to say brachas and all this kind of stuff. But you're actually, because you actually have these quote-unquote afflictions, you're actually establishing the kingdom of God upon the earth because you're adding a Lamed into the tragedies that are plaguing the world on a constant basis. Right now we got riots, looting, racism. I thought we were going through a pandemic, but I guess not, you know, social distancing, all that kind of stuff going on. But it's like, what is Hashem showing us in all this? What is he showing us? How do we put a Lamed into all that? Well, check out the letter Lamed from Sefer Otiot. It says, The Lamed, oh so beautiful Lamed, tall and, or tall and elegant like a palm branch, which is the Lulav wave. What's a Lulav? Lulav, four different aspects brought together, represents the name of Hashem, represents all persons of all stature of Israel from the most righteous to the lowliest those who are considered to be all oh, they have no mitzvot they have no kindness but yet somehow they're a part of the Jewish community and it's like okay so the lowest is connected with the highest like the greatest is connected with the least of these like Mashiach told us right if you've done to the least of these you've done to me and you're like Mashiach but you're so great how can a naked person or a prisoner be associated with you it's like, ah, don't you remember the Lulav? Okay. Anyway, I suggest you study the Lulav so you can get a little bit more on that. Also study the Ketorit, the incense spices upon the golden altar. There's a reason why there's one of those smells that's like putrid. You're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up in my mouth right now because that smells so horrible. But it's like if that smell was missing, the Ketorit would not be effective. So is it with all of Israel, in order for us to have complete, uh, what do we call it, effectivity, if you will, we have to have unification on all levels, from the greatest to the least. 
So anyway, it says Lamed is a student at night, which is Lila, by the moon, which is Levana, forever, which is Leolam, while everyone else is asleep. Lamed studies the holy books. So we continue to study while this is going on. We continue to see from the Torah what's going on in our time. Because remember, we're supposed to live with the Torah portions, right? So... It just so happens in Parsha Beha Aloteka, there's riots going on. There's like, Hashem, we want meat, Hashem, blah, 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 blah. we want to go back to Egypt, blah, you're terrible. There's not enough graves in Egypt. There's the, the, the fire thing that happens, you know, and people are burning down stuff in the world. And then there's the, the, the lusting going on, sexual immorality. All that kind of stuff going on. And then we have to get new elders because the other ones died in the fire. And it's just like, what? So what What was the point of all that? We were supposed to humble ourselves. This all stemmed from despising the manna. The manna tasted like whatever we wanted it to taste like. And we're like, Psh, nah. Eldad and Maydad are the epitome of the new elders that were appointed. On the tail end of rebellious, wicked leaders, these two individuals like, no, we're going to be so far from designated and being chosen. We're going to go outside the camp. We're not even going to show up. I know we're supposed to draw lots. We drew them, but we don't know. That's not for us. We don't get to be. We can't be elders. We're not worthy of it. Literally, that's Eldad and Maydad. There were 72 lots that went out. Eldad and Medad got two of them. And on the lots, it said Elder, like Zakanim, you know, like you're a part of this, the 70, the Sanhedrin. And the plus one, obviously, is Moshe because the Sanhedrin is 70 plus one. So Eldad and Medad, they didn't even look at their lot. They're like, no, we took lots, but we don't No, We don't want that. We didn't know. So obviously, the other 70 had Elder on their lot that they chose. Right. Or that they drew. But yeah, Hashem was like, what? No, 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 no. Hakadosh, like, let's get, let's put the Kadusha on them. These people started prophesying outside the camp. Okay, literally, outside the camp, outside the clouds of glory, the place where there's uh, snakes and scorpions, place where there's darkness, you know, a place where it's like, you're not in the... You're not in the encampments, the rock and the the rivers of living water. You're like outside of all that, outside the clouds of glory. You're out you're outside the Jewish community. Okay, let's just call it what it is. They're outside the Jewish community and they're prophesying. And Hashem kept them prophesying beyond the stint of the 70 when they received their anointing because their anointing came from Moshe. Hashem was like, I'm going to kindle Moshe and I'm going to take from the anointing of Moshe and spread it across the 70, i.e. the seed of Moshe. So, yeah, they prophesied and it was like, boom, okay, awesome, welcome. We've been expecting you. Thank you. Let's not repeat the episode that just happened with the craving and the fire incident and all that kind of stuff. Don't look at the shaking of glory if Hashem shows up like the previous 70 did. You know, back in Parsha Mishpatim. Uh, yeah, because they totally did that. They were up on the mountain and they were like, oh, look, it's a Shem standing on Sapphire. Like, that's great. Hashem was like, 
uh what are you doing guys just staring over here like that's no we don't do that anyway so they prophesied they stopped Eldad and Medad kept going and depending on what source you read Eldad and Medad are the two witnesses in Revelation they're the ones who prophesied the Vaheb and Soa. They prophesied Gog and Magog, which is the final war with the coming of Mashiach. Like, and we're talking back in the wilderness. So their prophecy was just like, like infinite. Still going. So yeah, so humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. This is an example of Eldad and Medad. So now let's finish the rest of Kepha though. Peter, first Peter here going to call him Kepha because that's what his name is okay remember yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he may lift you up at the appropriate time cast all your worries on him for he cares for you stay alert watch out your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion searching for someone to devour stand up against him firm in your faith your Amuna, which by the way is not only what you believe, but also what you do. So stand firm and keeping kosher, stand firm and keeping the Shabbat, stand firm and dressing Zanut. You know, all of that. Stand firm in it. If you're headed towards conversion, stand firm. I'm headed towards conversion. Yes, I fail. Yes, there I don't have it all together, but I'm I'm going. So you gotta stand firm. It says knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being laid upon your brothers and sisters throughout the world. Everybody in the P Legion is getting some afflictions. You best believe it. We may look like we don't have afflictions, but we do. We got them. And it's like, oh, so-and-so is so righteous. They're always, like, smiling. They're so joyful. They're like, Shabbat Shalom. I see you in seven days. Oh, my gosh. How was your week? Your week was great. All right, Brookership. This is great. We're at Shul. All right or you're online, you know, chatting it up and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, boy, if you only knew the, uh, the elephant graveyard, let's go lion King on them. Elephant graveyard, whatever the hyenas chasing young Simba and Nala. Like, yeah, that remember that scene. That was, whoo. Talk about working your nerves stressed out. Oh my gosh. What's going to happen. I think we're going to die. Yeah. Everybody getting afflicted. Okay, again, but if you're low, the Shem's like, I got you, man. I'm going to lift you up at the appropriate time. Sometime that appropriate time is candle lighting. <laughs> okay, so going on, it says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Let's talk about the God of all grace. Who has called you into his eternal glory in Mashiach? So the God of grace says that I need you inside the Torah. There's your grace message right there. Good news of redemption. Everyone's welcome to pick up the Torah. All right, cool. Got that covered. It says the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in the Mashiach, a.k.a. the Torah will himself what is he going to do number one restore number two support number three strengthen number four and establish you he's going to do four things like the four cups the four salvations Pesach style 
Restore, support, strengthen, and establish. Says all power to him forever. Amen. So that's our launch pad into Eldad and Maydad. Going down here, uh, and I want to just reiterate uh, Hadas Shlita shared this on my post that I shared to Taos. She said, Lower still. To which I'm like, oh, yeah, go quantum like we did in Avengers Endgame. We went small. And literally, that's how we saved the world. Went and got all the all the stones, went and assembled the gauntlet, and we snapped, brought everybody back. And then we fought Thanos, and then we won. Obviously, Iron Man died, but we don't want to talk about that. Anyway. So, <clears throat> so yeah. All of that. We got to be lower still, right? Now, let's look at Eldad and Medad. They're from Bami Bar chapter 11, verses 24 through 27 to be specific. Not going to read it, but just know that's the section I'm coming from. Want to focus on Eldad and Maydad literally have the same word as the root of their names. Uh, Dod, which is beloved. Okay. Or Yadid or Yadad to be particular, which is to love. Remember that song? Yeah, that song. Yeah, that's the root of their name. So we're looking at possibly, I haven't seen any source on this, so don't quote me on it, but just so the mind can wonder. Because my mind is, so I just want to invite you to wonder if you want to. You can wonder over this way if you want to. Okay, but anyway, they're twins. Twins of love. And isn't it interesting that love, Ahava, is the gematria of 13. If you do Ahava, Ahava, 13 plus 13, that equals 26, which is the gematria of the Yod and Hey and Vav and Hey, a.k.a. Hashem, the Tetragrammaton. Now, that's crazy, right? But anyway, Eldad and Medad, the only difference between their names is El and Me. El meaning God, Me meaning who. So, that's crazy on another level. Alright, so, if you put Eldad Umidad, which is the phrase that's in the verses, the gematria of Eldad Umidad, aka in English Eldad and Medad, the gematria is 103. And the gematria of 103, I thought I took a note of what it was, but that's cool. I'll just go to my gematria over here. Gematria 103. Hook it up, prep day. What you got? Uh, the gematria, what kind of gematria is going on over here? Hamas Pari. No, let's do standard, please. Okay. It was like, Kuf Gimel, 103. And it's like, no, 105. And it's like, what gematria system are you in? Anyway, Hakokavim, the stars. Minka, the grain offering. Avimelech, my father is king. Minka, by the way, is also the... Um, the prayer time, that's the most precious of the prayer time. Avanim, stones. 
So Eldad and Medad are like those two stones. There are two stones on the, the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol on the shoulders there, those two shoulder stones. The Shoham stones, which, by the way, rearranged to Moshe or rearrange them again to Hashem. Shoham stones. Anyway, uh, those things. And remember, there are two Mashiachs. So the two stones that are struck together that were given to Adam as Perkei de Revelezer brings down that creates the illuminations of fire, just like we pray in the Habdallah blessing. The Bore More Haesh. Strike it, light your multi-wick candle, boom. Why is it a multi-wick candle? Because there were two stones that Hashem gave to Adam, struck them together, and fire came. Totak Shlita brought down, the again, Cannonball Avenger. He says that, uh, yeah, if you strike two stones together, that's not going to make a fire. And I'm like, Psh, well, the ones Hashem gave to Adam did take it up with Perke. We didn't fight about it, but it was just kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on? And it's like, again, science, one hand, God, other hand. Other thing about El Dadu Me Dad, it is the Gematria of Egel, which is calf. Yeah, like the calf. The golden calf, to be particular, but also the uh, the calf that Avraham went to chase after, because that was supposed to be the meal that was fed to Hashem and the two angels that were with him to visit Parsha Vayera. But this calf was like, no, I will not be dinner, but I will show you where you need to bury your wife. What do I mean by that? Well, the Midrash brings down that this calf caused Abraham to run and chase it because this calf was, by the way, a baby red heifer. And it went to the cave of Machpelah and it was like, look, it's a dumb and Hava. Check them out. They're in the cave. Look, this is the entrance to Ghani then. And Abraham's like, get up. Wait, what? You know, grabs the calf, stands in awe. It's like, oh my gosh, this is holy ground. Take your shoes off. All right, I'm going to walk backwards and I'm out, you know. And so by the cave of Machpelah, bury my wife there. I'm going to be buried there, you know, bury my son and his wife there, all that. Anyway, that's the importance of a gill calf. So those are just a few things. Oh my goodness. And Machane camp. Noise, the camp, Eldad and Medad. So as they're outside the camp, they are a camp. And where have we seen that before? Ten of Moshe. Go back to my Parshakitisa podcast on Ten of Moshe and you'll understand what I'm saying. But Moshe's tent was where everything in creation came the Shekinah was there Yehoshua was there Hashem was there and if anybody wanted to speak to Hashem they had to go to the tent of Moshe so Eldad and Medad had their own camp outside the camp just like Moshe's tent was a camp outside the camp so anyway there's a way to be outside the camp aka let's use colloquial terms outside of popular standard Judaism as it is today the rabbis that you want to watch on YouTube and 
the communities of Judaism that have an Eruv and that have an Orthodox synagogue, you know, great grandfathers are like very, very high profile Rebbe's and all that. You know, you, we, if you're outside that community, it's it's OK. You're still just as Jewish. Everything you do is still just as valid, because, again, if you're trying to please them versus trying to please Hashem, that's going to be an issue because these people are not going to be in the room with you when it's time for you to give an account for your life. You can't go, oh, well, Ms. Rocky said da 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 da, just like people who bank on Paul. They can't go up to a shem and say, but Paul said I wasn't supposed to do all that Jewish stuff. Can't do that. It's not going to fly. Okay. It's a lead balloon. Okay. It's just, a, it's a lead balloon. That's what it is. It's not going to pick you up. It's not going to fly. And I'm talking like lead in a hot air balloon. Like, you know, you can pump that thing up with as much as you want to to think it's going to fly but there's so much lead in it you're going to stay grounded you ain't going nowhere okay anyway Eldad and Medad are etymologically related to David HaMelech because Yadid, Yadad and Dod are also derivatives of David so when have we seen two individuals together forms the king of Israel? Oh, yeah, the two Mashiachs. So there's that. Uh, they were prophesying outside the camp because they had humility. Now, let's go ahead and read this beautiful article from Levi Avzon, dropping all kinds of ridiculous sources. First, he says, Eldad and Medad, okay, first of all, Levi Abzon Shlita, may Hashem bless him with a long and blessed life, amen, says, Eldad and Medad are the protagonists of a cryptic episode of the portion Beha Aloteca. Now, two men remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, the name of the second one was Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Remember, the spirit rested upon the ark, the spirit rested upon Mashiach. And the spirit rests upon those who've been resurrected to life anew. Even though we're waiting the resurrection, we're still with the spirit uh, as a promise. You know, those of us who've been born again kind of thing. And we have to be continually born again. We can't just be like, oh, I was born again and the spirit's on me. It's like, well, the spirit is not going to rest on you if you break fellowship with Hashem. Hence, you got to come back to Hashem. And then the spirit's like, oh, you're back. I've been waiting. Okay. Anyway. They were among those written, but they did not go out uh, of the tent, but prophesied in the camp. Okay, so the elders were supposed to be brought to the tent of meeting and everything happened there. Like, boom, spirit cloud, all that kind of stuff. And they're like, no, we ain't going there. We stand outside of the, the camp of the Shekinah. <clears throat> and so we will not show up to the tent of meeting. And Hashem was like, fine, boom. There you go. And this is the outside the camp, quote unquote, that I've been mentioning the whole time. Anyway, it says the lad Gershom, son of Moshe, ran and told Moshe, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Now, this is cool because the source on that is Rashi. Okay, Rashi says it was Gershom. 
But another source says it was Yehoshua ben Nun. Another source says it was... uh, I don't remember who it was. But anyway, but Gershom or Yehoshua ben Nun, it was one of those. And the Yehoshua ben Nun one is from... Where that's from? An alternative interpretation, appoint them to the public office. They will become too preoccupied sleek out okay I don't know what's the source on that one that's interesting um Yehoshua the son of Nun Yehoshua ben Nun Moshe's servant from his youth answered Moshe my master imprisoned him oh that there it is sleek out everybody Gershom was the one who told Moshe Yehoshua was the one who was like, lock him up. <laughs> all right. Anyway, Moshe said to him, are you zealous for my sake? If only all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would bestow his spirit upon them. Where is that from? That is from Bami Bar 1126. Did not Shaul say all a desire that all Israel would prophesy? Right? Check this out. Okay. Go ahead and uh, get the coordinates of that. Please source it. It is from Corinthians, the first one, so they say. Chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Earnestly pursue love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. So there you go. Especially the gift of prophecy. You want to make sure that you prophecy. Um, and uh, ch- uh, chapter 13, verses 2 and verse 9 says, although I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, Though I have faith so that I can remove mountains, if I have not Zadokah, I am nothing. So there's that. So yeah, so prophecy is like, you know, above all things, you want to you wanna have the gift of prophecy, right? Because you're going to edify the whole community with that. And Moshe was like, yeah, I desire that everybody prophesies. Eldad and Medad are just, you know... So here's another thing. Who were they? Well, Midrash uh, in Bami Bar Rabbah 15:19 says their real names are Eli. Dad, my God is love. Wow, like Eli, Dod, my God is beloved. My God is love. Elidad, and it says, the son of Hislon, the chieftain of the tribe of Benjamin. So, wow, we got a Benjamite. And then we have Ekumel, the son of Shiftan, the chieftain of the tribe of Ephraim. So, they are literally the two Mashiachs. Benjamin is the son of Rachel. Ephraim, descendant of Yosef, son of Rachel. So you have the two sons of Rachel, the two Mashiachs right there. 
or at least the two Mashiach Ben Yosef characters. Yosef <clears throat> uh, and Benjamin are considered to be two parts of one soul, by the way. So it's interesting. Really, two Mashiachs would be more of Mashiach Ben David, Mashiach Ben Yosef. But in this case, we have two Yosef Mashiachs. And they're two parts of one whole. Which again, which is why I think it's so cool that their root of their names are Dod or Dod or Deed, which is the whole word for love and beloved. So it says these two figures ended up leading their respective tribes into the Holy Land, unlike the rest of the 70 sages who passed on before entering the land. These two sages merited to see the land due to their humility. Rabenu Bakia, of course, brings that down. Bombing bar twenty four twenty five. So, in a possible predicament of not entering to the land, humility was what immunized them to bring them into the land. Now, that's from the Midrash Rabbah again, fifteen nineteen. But check this out again. Bombing bar Rabbah fifteen nineteen. Yonatan ben Uziel, a.k.a. Targum Yonatan, Bami Bar 11.26, says, When Moshe's father Amram divorced his mother Yachaved, remember that episode back in Parsha Shemot? Pharaoh was killing all the children. Amram was like, I'm out. I'm done. I ain't having no more children so Pharaoh can kill him. It says, so Amram divorced Yachaved. She married a man named Elizaphan ben Parnach, who is the Nasi, the prince of the tribe of Zebulun. So wait a minute. We got the tribe of Zebulun in the house. So she had two children together, and this is Eldad and Medad, after which she remarried her first husband. Which, again, if the wife gets married to a second husband, the first husband's not allowed to take her back. So, obviously, we have, you know, a rule, except for when it's not a rule. Like, you should marry your wife's sister. But yet, Yaakov married uh, Rachel and Leah, who were sisters. Shouldn't allow a Moabite to enter into the community. Well, Ruth, who was a Moabitess, was allowed to enter into the community. These are just to name a few things, but the point being that these two, Eldad and Medad, are technically maternal older brothers of Moshe, which I thought was really cool, putting all the pieces together. It says, and they and, and she went on after that to have her youngest son, Moshe. In short, Moshe shared a mother with Eldad and Medad. The biblical commentator known as the Rosh, Bamibar 1127, uh, the Dot on the same verse brings the same tradition, says they agree that they were Moshe's half-brothers, but he argues that they shared a father and not a mother. And that would be from Igrot Kodesh, volume 15, Letter 5537 says the for the Rebbe's solution to the question of when Amram fathered these children. So it was either Amram 
or Yahweh that fathered these two, but somehow they're related to Moshe. And if you think about the crazy dynamic of that, it's like, well, is it going to be maternally or paternally? You know, and it's like the answer is yes. Well, this goes back again to Tractate Yevamot that says, well, a convert can immerse in a mikvah before they get circumcised or they have to get circumcised before they immerse in a mikvah. Long story short, they bring down, well, the immersion is totally cool and then they can get circumcised later because our matriarchs, a.k.a. Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, they all converted through mikvah because they couldn't get circumcised. So to say that a convert has to get circumcised before they get mikvah, uh, what are we going to do with our matriarchs? And it's like, oh, yeah, about that. Mikvah is a part of conversion. Oh, yeah, about that. And it's like, well, but the patriarchs, though, they had to be circumcised, you know, and anybody else who comes in has to be circumcised. And it's just like, well, okay. So technically you need to get circumcised first and then get into the mikvah. And then it's like, all right, boom, bring your sacrifice. And there you go. That's your conversion. Incidentally, isn't it interesting that we have the sacrifice of Mashiach to proclaim, you know, as converts. So through Mashiach's Akedah, we get to be uh, converts into Judaism uh, in conglomeration with the mikvah and the circumcision if we're a guy. So anyway, so yeah, so whether it's the father or the mother, your answer is yes. And so it was really cool just looking at Eldad and Medad and their humility caused them to be able to enter in the promised land when they technically fit the bill for those who should not make it in the promised land. And they should have died in the wilderness. And also, they may or may not have been a part of the Sanhedrin in the wilderness, the 70, but they didn't show up. And Hashem was like, okay, well, you don't think you're worth it, but uh, boom. The phrase is, I will add greatness to their greatness. Where did Hashem say that at? Yeah, God said, since you have made yourselves humble, I will add greatness to your greatness. This came down from... Dun, 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 dun. It says the Talmud tells us what happened next. And again, this is all in this one particular uh, compilation here from Levi Abzalon. Abzon. So, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, drop that he brings. What is the greatness that Hashem added to them? Asked the Talmud. All the others, or all the elders, the other, the 70, who were given their prophecy at that time, prophesied for a period of time, then stopped. But Eldad and Medad prophesied and did not stop. We do have a source for that. Sanhedrin 17a. Baruch Hashem. So with that being said, what is the primary thing about Be'alohateka? It is this Hebrews 13, seven through 16. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Yeshua HaMashiach is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. 
For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods that have not benefited those occupied by them. Literally, not by foods like what you eat, comida for the Sephardi, the Sephardim, the Sephardi Jews, comida says not by foods that have not benefited those occupied by them, i.e., there is food that we can eat or there is food that eats us, i.e., if our stomachs are our gods. I would love to eat kosher, except uh, I love pork too much or I love cheeseburgers or I love shrimps or any of that stuff. Don't don't let food occupy you. OK, and it says we have an altar from which those serving in the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the Holy of Holies by the Kohen Gadol as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, again, the bodies of these animals you take outside the camp to a pure place, right? Therefore, to make the people holy through his own blood, Yeshua also offered or suffered outside the gate. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. Mashiach is sitting at the gates of Rome until the final redemption because we're supposed to be bringing in all the converts. Well, if you're focused on bringing in all the converts, chances are you're not inside the Jewish community. You're outside of it because you're not accepted. Why? Because you're bringing in converts who are likened to leprosy on the skin of a Jew. Furthermore, the gates of Rome is not inside of Jerusalem. Neither is Mashiach in Rome, but he's at the gates of Rome, the place where there's the in and out flow. So people are coming to faith in the Messiah as a part of Christianity. And it's like, oh my gosh, there's this Torah thing. And then just as quickly as they went in, they had the opportunity to come out. Mashiach's like, all right, hey, here I am. Nice to meet you. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Let's wrap our bandages, shall we? And this is what humility is. That you're not embraced as a kosher Jew, but you eat kosher, you follow the Mashiach, you keep the Shabbat, your Shomer Mitzvot, and you are lowly and humble of heart, just like the yoke that Mashiach says, take upon us. So, Parsha Beha Aloteka, PSI, it is official, we've sourced it out, we need to be like Eldad and Medad. Don't get thrown off by the riots. Learn from them. Don't get caught up in the fear mongering. Learn from it. And let us all usher in the final redemption through infusing the worlds, literally the worlds, uh, from our thought, speech, and deeds out into our very actions or into our very communities, to our workplaces, our homes, all of that. Bring all that light and that Kedusha down. Take all this darkness and this evil, repurpose it and re-siphon it out into the world as Shema Yisrael. Ki Shuateka kiviti Hashem, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai hakadosh baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, 
No tain ha Torah.